0: You may not, this thing can go sideways. Have have you heard any of them before? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) They can go sideways quick on us. You never know what's going to happen. We had to hold it together with Steve Caballero. I was a little nervous on that one. That was probably our most tame one ever.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I said fuck once on that podcast. You did not? No. I don't think any of us did. (laughs)
2: Everybody, welcome back to Five Dirty Bikers podcast. Today we have a special guest. We have Tyler from Lowbrow Customs. Tyler, thank you for joining the podcast today. It's a pleasure to have you.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's to be here.
2: So you've been doing the aftermarket parts for custom choppers and Harley Davidsons and Triumphs for a while now. Since what the almost the birth of e-commerce. So how's that been treating you?
3: Well, great. I mean, with varying, you know, over the years. And uh, but man, super good. I love it. Uh, I started. Brown 4 and it was just a part-time like side gig evenings and weekends for the first five years. I was a sign maker, so I'd like uh, do graphic design. I did a little bit of website design starting in the late 90s. I'm just self-taught. So like in high school, I was screen printing in my parents' basement, like printing punk band t-shirts and patches and stuff like that. so I could go to punk shows and sell patches and go to the show and <laughs> that kind of thing. So I knew how to, I was always into typography and graphic design. He got into printing, worked at a sign shop doing screen printing, stickers, shirts, whatever, lettering work vans, you know, anything to do with lettering and graphics. And uh, yeah, I was building, uh, I think I was like late 90s, I bought a 1970 Triumph, it's my first bike. I just liked the way, I just kind of like, I'd ridden and built like mini bikes and three wheelers and stuff before that, but uh, it was just kind of a whim, like man, like that's a nice looking bike, uh, the Triumph in general. And ended up buying you know, an old flat track bike out of the trading times or something. And uh, I you know I couldn't find parts for it, or I was like getting like paid, like Xerox catalogs in the mail, and you call a guy, and then it's like sending money orders, and then a month goes by, and maybe you get your parts. And I was just like, man, I could do. I could do better than this, <laughs> you know, so I, uh, I don't know, I had the idea, the name, I just liked the name kind of made it up and, uh, drew the skull that's in our logo still just like with a Sharpie real quick and like, you know, kind of started messing around with it, but didn't do anything with it for, and I had like the website domain and I didn't do anything with it for like a year and then decided oh, I'll start doing t-shirts and I started bringing in like hard to find chopper media. And this is imagine like early 2000s, you know, pre-Facebook, pre-Instagram, it's hard to remember what it was like. It was like writing letters and buying magazines and DVDs from Japan and England, like (laughs) Dice, the first couple issues, you know, when they're over in the UK, still Matt and Dean. And um, it was just a real small community for like vintage bikes, like finding people who knew about vintage Triumphs, especially choppers. It was real, it was like Yahoo message groups. And it was real weird. It was a real small community. (laughs) Not like it is now, you know, as far as, Uh, the the spread of the internet and information and all that that kind of brought so many people together.
1: Were you, were you on the front of the chopper craze that was on TV or was it about the same time?
3: uh, It was, it was in the same time. So like I had my stock bike, before the chopper craze like say early 2000s okay and uh, I like you know learned to ride my motorcycle bump starting it down the driveway into traffic (laughs) you know I had no idea what I was doing (laughs) Uh, and at that time like then I rebuilt the top end because it was whooped and didn't know how to turn a wrench hardly when I started and you really just dove in into stuff you know and I mean like the me now would probably be like what the hell are you doing to me when i was 18 and doing this stuff you know like it, i made it work but i wasn't uh, i was definitely a novice when i started but uh man it, the stuff like um you know jesse james and, and and all that on tv is what got me inspired like oh man i can chop my triumph i can build uh you know a custom bike rigid frame you know i ended up taking a stock bike and ended up being a rigid frame with a girder and a, a foot clutch and a suicide shift it's pretty wild for uh, for my first chopper, and but it was totally inspired from uh, you know being exposed to like yeah metal shaping and things I just didn't even know existed when I was 20 years old you know um, but I was on the like most people I feel like are on the other end of the spectrum financially where it was like man I was working on a piece of cardboard on the floor of my duplex single car garage <laughs> you know with like uh, some cruddy tools uh, and I couldn't afford any of the stuff you saw on TV so that's how lowbrow started. It was like, Hey, let's do home built bikes and make things affordable. And you know, I mean, you know the deal. So it was like the birth of home built uh, choppers, like what we're still, what's still going on obviously right now. And I think that was the beginnings, like people being into choppers but knowing they didn't have to cost the same amount as your house or more, you know?
1: Well now with like the shows like hand built and things like that. There's a whole, there's a whole connection to that you know, that culture that, that you're talking about that, you know, that didn't exist. I mean, when the chopper phase kind of hit TV, those were not bikes that any of us could afford. You know, they were $150,000, $200,000 bikes at the top of the top of the food chain.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy is like, I mean, shouldn't say this, but like, I don't know. I don't think that bike's any more fun than like an XS650 that someone built in the garage or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not about, to me, it's not about like, the swankiest thing. It's more about, uh, you know, the soul and the vibe and having a good time. It's just about having a good time, you know? So right. it's not, I'm not at least trying to like show how much money I spent on my bike, <laughs> you know, right. it's not right. in the slightest what I give a shit about. It. So, uh, some people, I know there's matters, but I don't think most people are, are, are building choppers for that reason. You know?
4: The I'm one sure. thing that I liked about going, you know, just <laughs> because whenever I had my Sportster, of course, that led me to your website. um, but the, the the thing that I like about the products that you offer is you you make them affordable for someone to do it themselves.
3: Yeah, for sure.
4: And you've got you guys have a ton of videos on YouTube to be able to do just about anything to mm-hmm. the bike. Um but it lets everyone's creativity shine through rather than saying, okay, look, we're going to offer you 10 sets of bars, and we offer them in black and chrome, and here you go, and this is what we're going to do. You, know, you, you, you give everyone, the, creati- you give everyone the, the paintbrush, per se, and let their creativity show, and that's where your, your products and your website and your videos are, are different than a lot of other companies. And that's, that's very respectable.
3: Yeah. We just, man, I mean, we just keep it real because like we're doing the exact same thing as all our customers, you know? Yeah. I mean, I design part, I design most of the parts that are lowbrow brand. And the only way I know how to do that is because it's the stuff I need. You know, I'm like, man, right. I can't believe there's not a brake break anchor rod that's not made in China. Like I can't, there's not one. And then, so I was like, I'm going to make one. And then we made it, (laughs) you know, just simple stuff where it's like, why doesn't this exist? Like we can make this affordable. And it's, it's like, you know, uh, I mean, it's American manufacturing. It's like, we're doing stuff with, with shops all over Ohio, the Midwest and all over the U.S. But like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just putting the energy into being a good manufacturer, figuring out how to make things efficient. So the cost is reasonable so we can still make money and pay our employees and pay our vendors and all that. But like the end users, like, you know, I mean, big, uh, you know, TV chopper shows, stuff That's like, and I know stuff still exists, but it's so outside of my sphere, but like, you know, $500 handlebars, and you know, it's just tubing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's the stuff that we buck where it's like, you know, you can use a very small amount of, uh, cheap tubing and with, uh, effort whether you know have the skills you got to learn the skills you know you can build an amazing set of handlebars and be like yeah i made those and yeah. value that a lot more um i don't know it blows me away but i i, I like the uh, like probably most people who are chopping bikes it's just a creative exercise and problem solving and that's what it's yeah. about you
4: know and knowing I like, your machine, awesome.
3: so i go you ride down the road and if you have a problem and you built your bike you're going to pretty much know what that problem is you know you'll figure it out and it's totally different than uh having no idea like how anything works or how it goes together, you know? I agree. I like
1: that it's, uh, that there's something, you know, kind of unique and cool happening that's not connected to the West coast or the East coast. Right. So if people can finally say that something, you know, something really cool and something really original is happening in the middle of the country and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be connected to, um, you know, while everyone's influenced by what's happening on the East Coast or West Coast, it doesn't have to be happening there. Sure. That you know, cool stuff happens everywhere, but you know, it's not middle, The middle of America is not always known for cool. Yeah. And you know, uh, when you can do something that you can that you can make the middle of America cool, and you can make it accessible to everyone, like Mike said, that that's that, you know, that's a lot of respect there because that 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 yeah. does not happen everywhere. You know, and you're. You're conscious, you seem to be, you know, in, in even in the videos that I've watched and and you know, all the content that you've had out there, it seems to be something it certainly resonated with me. You know, there's this very like every man feel to it as opposed to, you know, oh look at what I've got. And not everybody can have this, but you can <laughs> all look at it. You know, yeah. like you're you're making it so that it seems very accessible, which is yeah. which is very cool. And I believe I mean, I
3: think it is, right? It's like it's just being authentic, and that's easy if, like, you're just real. Like, the way we do everything is like, hey, this is what I like or, like, this is what we like. Uh, if you like it too, cool. But if you don't, that's fine. Go some, do, some, you know, do something else. Just like, man, if, we're not for everyone, you know? If we appealed to everyone, we wouldn't have a cool company that did rad shit. we would just be, you know, just another whatever brand. It'd be opinion.
0: RevZilla. <laughs> yeah i am you
3: know, a subculture guy you know i grew up uh i don't know in, in the punk scene and being just doing my own thing all the time and those ethos i feel like carry over because so many of our customers are uh you know bmx motocross snowboarding punk metal it's like all these subcultures and it just it's just that same kind of person same kind of vibe and uh and again it's like i don't know it's not um if i if we just wanted to make as much money as possible, we'd do a bunch of stuff different. But that's not the goal, you know.
4: I just like the fact that you didn't go down the son's anchovy dine hole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> fuck that. <Diana. laughs>
2: Tyler, uh, just for for a bit, I wanted to touch on something too. That because mm-hmm. I've watched the history of lowbrow video more more than twice, oh. and one thing that really stood out to me was how well you treat your employees. Mm-hmm. Now I know this day and age, taking care of your customers is number one. You want to make them happy. That's your bread and butter. But when you get on to, especially in the video, all the employees in the video just commented on how great of a work environment is, how great of a boss you are, you know, how happy they are to work there. And that's, that's kind of rare anymore because, you know, not everybody likes their boss, you know, not everybody is excited to go to work every day. And that's refreshing to see, especially in this industry.
3: Yeah, um, I'm proud of that. And that's something I mean, that's, you know, on purpose, (laughs) we take care of, take care of everyone. I mean, we're a small company, Uh, you know, 14 people, relatively small, because we we do a lot with our everyone wears like, you know, six different hats and does a lot of things. But um, man, our average age that someone's been with or length someone's been with us, we've been in business 16 years. But I mean, probably like six or seven years is the average, you know, uh, wow. and meaning that I didn't hire my first employee until five years in, too. So, yeah. uh, my brother Kyle, it's ten or eleven years. He's the first employee. Katie was a second one. She's, you know, with us nine, nine years or ten years. Um, but yeah, we generally it's like we find the right people. And The key is the right people. It's a two way street. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's so it's hard. We put a lot of time and energy to find those people because, uh, you know, I'm not going to screw up. or I mean, I got to work with everyone every day too, right? We, I want to like like the people we work with. But uh, also, it's, yeah, it's taking care of people. It's, man, it's super easy. That's how I feel like, that's how I lead my life. And it's the same in business and personal. It's just win-win. It's like, you take care of people, they take care of you, everyone's happy. It's really freaking easy, right? So instead of being like, what can I get out of these people? You know, how can I make, you know, freaking, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to grind anyone down. What I want to do is, work uh have a lifetime doing something i really enjoy with people i like and at the end of that work career whenever that is it's like man that we built something awesome and everyone's happy and they don't have financial worries and they're healthy and they got to do cool shit and it's just really easy right and then i feel good because like i'm I, you know this is i do this uh it's it's a passion and i, I mean I, I care about everyone who works with me you know um right. They work for me, but I'd say with me because it's like, man, we're. I'm you know, I got a lot of ideas, but without, <laughs> without my crew, we wouldn't be doing all the cool stuff we're doing all the time. So, yeah, you build
4: I, a business to be proud of, for
3: sure. yeah. That's for I sure. i an old man being like, you know, proud of everything I do, that's all I want. So, yeah. and uh, so far, so good.
2: <laughs> it was cool to see that you let your employees go ride motorcycles during the work day, yeah, um, just to yeah. keep yeah. them at ha- you know, just to to keep them happy. So, you know, you're not sitting at a desk all day. Get out and go ride a bike and have some fun. Yeah, yeah. I could do some more work.
3: We're easy. I look at it like everyone's an, a, an adult, you know, and they have their own life outside of work and they make it happen. So it's like, why would I treat them any different? Like, I don't know. You know, you need to make a phone call Go make a phone call or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. you need to ask about this. Like cause everyone's, everyone's got the same goal in mind. It's like, it's still work, right? It's like some days I'm like, crap, man, I don't want to do this or that. But in general, it's really good because we've got a, a really good culture. We get so much good feedback and thank you guys for you know for the feedback on that stuff that, that people notice it. But we get uh, we get feedback from customers all the time and share them in emails and such because it stokes everyone out because it's like, hell yeah. It's just, I had one today. I responded to uh, Charlotte sent along a email from someone who was just like, man, your videos make me so happy. I love your videos. That guy just wrote us an email just to let us know that he appreciates it. And if we're making, even with all the crazy crap going on everywhere, even if it's like, man, that made that dude smile and gave him some enjoyment. That's awesome. You know, motorcycle, we're not saving lives, but Hey, we're at least trying to help people have fun. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's the main thing. So, let's switch gears off of Lowbrow for a minute and talk world records. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, t- tell everybody what you do.
3: Uh, race land speed motorcycles, uh, vintage triumphs at Bonneville Speed Week, typically. Uh, Bonneville, Flats, Utah. And uh, I've been doing that since 2010 was my first year racing out there. And we've I've done it most years. I missed one or two years because the event got rained out. And the year I got married, I didn't go race. And someone broke one of my records. And I was like the week uh-huh. I got married, it freaking killed me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when we're talking vintage triumphs, what what speed are you trying to obtain on there?
3: Um, So my I've got a 1950 Triumph. Uh, I beat my – upped my own record, uh, a record that I had beat. And then, you um, know, standing – uh, beat again this year or in 2020, end of 2020, and it was uh, 132. Basically, was the top speed um, for three miles, and uh, the record. When I started racing on that record, it was like 111 miles an hour back in 2010. I mean, the old, the old standing record. And uh, there's a lot of classes in at, at Bonneville, so that's a, a vintage class, which is pre 1956. So anything 56 and and newer is modern modern <laughs> yeah but, uh, really but modern. that's on gasoline basically you know just straight gas um no fairings anything like that and uh it, it's bonneville's tough man it's high altitude uh look the traction's okay but it's definitely nothing like asphalt or concrete and uh weather changes and also the the pure fact that it's way different coming up in like bouncing your your needle off of a certain speed and then back and down, you know, but to just hold your machine as fast as it'll go pin for a few miles is nerve wracking because, you know, when I'm riding that bike, I'm about this far from the engine, you know, and I'm just listening to that valve train going crazy and just kind of, you're always waiting, you know, always waiting for something. Always
0: waiting for something to go bad.
3: So and now, yeah, I built a dual engine Triumph in 2012 <laughs> and I'm building a new one right now that I'm super excited about. It's, Gonna be awesome, but uh, the one I built in twenty twelve, top speed I think ever was like one fifty three, and I blew away a bunch of Harley records with that. um, That were all like one twenty nine to one forty, and I took three records, three different Harley records, um, two race seasons with that bike.
0: Well, you chapped some asses with that one, didn't you?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I mean, (laughs) I love it. I, I mean, I own several Harley's. That's why I ride on the street, vintage, vintage Harleys. But uh, I'm a Triumph guy, and I absolutely love that "fuck you" aspect of <laughs> taking a <all> bike <laughs> and just smoking some knuckleheads and big inch flatheads. You know? Yeah, and,
0: for no doubt. You know. So, as far as modifications, do they they keep? Is it pretty much a stock engine? Is that what they're? Uh, no.
3: So I have to run a stock head, cylinder head, and okay. so for my. And that's tough on those triumphs. It's an old cast iron single carb head yep. that we heavily modify and uh, turn into a dual carb head that flows way better. But the amount of work that goes into one of those heads is like the same amount of effort to build a frame. I mean, it's just like a ton of fricking work. Um, it's basically taking something old and slow and making it go way faster. But uh, I build the engines myself in my home garage here. And I didn't start out building my own Todd at lowbrow, put together my, you know, uh, I think the first couple engines that were mild, mild. You know, they weren't stock, but they weren't anything crazy. But I get pretty deep in on the engine building, and uh, I'm over, over double horsepower from stock, which is pretty fun. And uh, yeah, especially if I just do it in my home garage. Nothing fancy. I mean, I've got a, I've got a lathe and a TIG welder and just basic stuff. Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy, but I accomplish a lot with it.
1: So does the inside of your leather sm- leather suit smell like urine from how many times you peed your pants going that fast?
3: No, probably sweat. I'll tell you what. Because <laughs> uh, I tell you, letters, uh, and I hope they still fit me till I'm freaking too old to, to race. And I told my daughter, I was like my 11 year old. I have two daughters, uh, but I told my 11 year old just the other day because the leathers are hanging in the closet on mom's in mom's closet because they're just where they are. And I told my daughter, I was like you know, never get rid of those. Like when I'm said and gone keep that in my race bikes and I think she kind of freaked her out (laughs) (laughs) so did they
4: go watch you when you raced
3: so 2018 was before our we have a two-year-old daughter too Virginia before she was born so my wife Julia and and my oldest our oldest Darlie came out to speed week for just a few days the last few days of speed week Mm -hmm. and uh got to see me race but then um, this and then I, I wrecked the following year pretty bad and my wife's like you're not allowed to go race without me being around because it stressed her out to be across the country. And I had a pretty bad wreck. But uh, right. this year, 2021, my wife and both girls are coming out, and my brother races with me. Uh, we race together, and he's. I think his wife and his his boys are coming out, and so it'll be. I'm super excited. I think it'd be awesome to have a nice little family contingent, and yeah, we have a. I mean, it's all of, like our, the people I love the most in the world are there. As far as friends and uh, you know, racers, people come crew for us. People come hang out. It's just a
4: yeah
3: big gathering. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the best.
0: So <laughs> h- how many records do you hold?
3: Uh, currently, currently, only three. And uh, you beat
0: all the Harley guys?
3: Well, all three, the Harley records I beat got taken, uh, got beat by uh, Jim Mosher out of New Mexico. He's got a dual engine Indian that he built. It's really nice. And, uh, yeah, he took all three of my records when I, I mean, I, because he's, he's fast, but I'm going to get those records back in the next year or two. So <laughs> that's uh, definitely high on my list and, uh, what I'm aiming, aiming for, you know,
0: boy, a hundred what'd you say? 150 something miles an hour,
3: 153, I think was at my top speed. I think, uh, the records now stand the, the three different classes, like on gas, I think it's like 157. And then on fuel, which uh, fuel class, like, uh, my competitor there is running nitrous oxide uh, and gasoline. And I think his record there is only like 160. And then with a full fairing in nitrous, I think he's running the one mid-160s or high-160s. Wow. Um,
4: and that's quicker than me running to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm definitely a contender with this new bike I'm building, with the, with the new chassis, new engine. they got way more power. In my, out of my engines than I used to get. And I just, I've learned a ton. I'm a better rider when it comes to like racing. So, um, yeah, I'm ready to freaking set records. So.
2: Man, that sounds really
3: cool. Yeah. I'm excited about it.
2: Super cool. So you had an accident. Was it, was it two years ago or a year ago? It was that
3: 2019.
2: 2019. Okay. Yeah. I watched, again, I watched, I watched this video as well. Very, very well produced by the way. Was that whole accident contributed to the terrain, how choppy it was out there? Yeah,
3: in my opinion, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, what happened was, you know, we drive out to Salt Flats from Ohio. It's 2,200 miles. It takes us a couple of days. And uh, the evening before we got there, there's a huge rainstorm. And the Bonneville Salt Flats are surrounded by foothills of mountains so when it rains all the water comes into the salt flats it's a it's a lake normally so it dries out for the summer and early fall when everyone races out there and then it floods again it's a shallow lake most of the year so basically we're waiting all summer for it to keep, keep drying out and the scta is dragging and prepping the course in some years it's better than others and while that rain came in we showed up and there's standing water everywhere i mean like i mean an inch of water so you get out and you're just standing in, in wet salt you know uh, it was a mess and long story short, we had, either, you know, 500 racers, probably two or 3,000 people with all the crew and everything else there on Friday. We're supposed to start racing Saturday, um, and when everyone knew we weren't racing right away. I think we sat around four days, maybe five, um, and they finally got, normally there's three courses, and they got one course that was deemed acceptable, and, uh, you know, I was up at five in the morning, got in line, and uh, didn't get to run until about two in the afternoon and I've never had an issue out there. I've always, I'm pretty like chill guy and I've always, I'm comfortable on a bike and everything. So, I mean, I've gotten nervous, but I've never had anything that scared the shit out of me when I'm racing. And, uh, you know, I always worry about crashing cause you don't want to freaking get really hurt. Racing. It's like, I don't think they're, I mean, you could die, but it's not at all. Like it's unlikely. It's more like broken bones, you know? But, uh, Anyway, I'm waiting, and I'm just done, though. I'm racing. I finished this bike. I have more horsepower than last year. I'm freaking drove here from Ohio. I'm locked and loaded. I'm ready to go. And, uh, man, cars kept spinning out uh, off the line. You know, they take off and spin out, and they have to leave the course. And I'm just like, eh, whatever. You know, I'm not worried about it. I the, the 10 cars that most motorcyclists weren't racing, the 10 cars that went before me, probably five of them spun out. It was a clear indicator I should not have gone. Because if a car is not hooking up and get traction, what's happening is they're these are very, mostly very fast, powerful vehicles, and so they're spinning out. One, I mean, that's just tearing up the surface. Uh, they're also you're spinning your wheels because it's so wet; you've got no traction, so you're throwing rooster tails of salt for a, literally a mile down the course, again making ruts and all this. Um, anyway, I get up; I'm ready to rock. They tell me course is clear. I go, you know, top of third gear, shifting to fourth, which is top gear on that on the bike I was running, and uh, I just noticed I had a little, just a little shimmy, and I was like that's weird. I've never had a, I've got a steering damper on the bike, but I'm laid out and my bars are about that close and vertical. I mean, I'm really tight and small on the bike. All of a sudden it starts, you know, going like this. And, uh, I remember distinctly, I, mean, I need, it's loose, you know, it's like sand. I just need to find hard salt. And I'm, I'm not even to the one mile mark yet. I'm not, I'm like in top gear, pulling up to top speed. I'm in the 120s, like 125 miles an hour ish based on my tachometer. And, uh, kind of just veered to the left slightly thinking like maybe I'm in a rut or, you know, maybe I'm just in a bad washout spot from a car tread. So I just kind of dipped to the left and then boom. And that was it. I mean, it was, I, I, I learned, like, I always thought, man, I'm a good rider. If it gets shitty, I'll just get out of it and pull off the course. But there was no getting there. It was like, no, there's the, you know, it's like, imagine, you know, you're riding a bicycle and you ride into sand, you know, you just dig in. And as soon as that, front end, cocked enough uh, for that tire to catch. I mean, I remember going, oh, fuck. You know, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Split <laughs> out, slammed in the <laughs> ground, and then high, low-sided, and then high-sided, which Ooh, shit! don't recommend. <laughs>
4: Ow. No.
3: So, I went over the bike. I think what happened is I put this arm out because I shattered my radius bone in my left arm. I broke my wrist, but I broke in a very special way. All the surgeons kept commenting on, which is... I shattered it lengthwise in a whole bunch of places, just shattered this way, just the one bone and busted my, uh, my pinky and, and busted the horn off of this other, ulna, this other bone. But uh, those were minor. But uh, anyway, I think I just basically rolled. It happens like, like that. You know, I was just on my back staring at the sun and uh, like, ah, shit, you know, got up, looked down course and saw pretty freaking far away towards the starting line was my, my motorcycle laying on its side, you know, freaking hobble over there, turn off the fuel. It was, uh, uh, there's a dead man switch tied to your leather. So when you come off, it kills the ignition, but I killed the fuel, picked the bike up and then ambulance rolls in and all that stuff. And it was, I mean, it was, a, I was great considering what happened, meaning the speeds and all that. I was like, man, I stood up, you know, I walked to the ambulance, got in, they checked my wrist out. They're like, yeah you should probably go to the hospital, <laughs> which they're so chill uh, they 're great, but it 's also funny because it's it 's a bunch of grown ups doing grown up stuff you know which I appreciate fully it 's like okay, cool, I got to ride back to my pit, and uh, my crew, of course we 're all like my brother, my dad, all my best friends they 're at the starting line all they hear is ride her down, and I honestly I never saw any of this stuff in the uh, the new film that you mentioned that Mikey at Lowbrow did uh, Bonneville, Lowbrow Redemption on the salt uh, I never saw any of that until I watched it the other night and it like choked me up a few times because you're know, one to see the reaction of my family and friends when I crashed. And then also all the nice stuff they said about me <laughs> when I left and I was at the hospital and flying home <laughs> to get surgery. Uh, it was, it was great. It made me feel like I don't see that cause I'm out riding and it made me feel like, uh, man, just, I can't even express it. It makes me very, very happy to see, see that love and support. But uh, yeah, anyway, I went back to the pit, they dragged the bike back over, unloaded it. It's all jacked up. But we got it uh, – kickst- I couldn't kick it because I couldn't move very well. Got it uh, fired right up, though. Um, it was pretty, pretty jacked up. Frame was bent, fork tubes, front and rear wheel were trashed, seat struts. Um, the engine was fine. Transmission case was cracked. All in all, it fared pretty well. They told me it went end over end up in the air really high. It didn't go as far as me, the the uh, officials told me because it went so high in the air, as it bounced off the salt, you know. <laughs> there was big, big divots they had to fill in with shovels, but they closed the course for the day. A few hours later, drove into Salt Lake City, went to the emergency room, you know, put me on a backboard. I walked in and uh, I had just like a tablecloth around my arm. Oh, did you hurt your arm? I'm like, yeah, I was in a motorcycle rack. Oh, how fast were you going? I was like, oh, like 120. <laughs> why, why don't you, do you come back here and I walk behind the desk you know there's all these people in this waiting room. and I walk back and they're like you're now in trauma and we're putting you through trauma so you're about to have a lot of people around you and they're gonna cut my clothes off and I'm gonna like, well, just take them off but yeah don't back cut back my clothes. shit off my whole uh, <laughs> yeah my whole right side was black and blue like black, black black and blue so like my right love handle and I was semi-worried about having, like, blown up a kidney or something. That's what they were worried about, too. So they checked me out. I was all good aside from the bone issue. And uh, they put me in a big cast. And uh, my, my buddies took me back. We got a hotel room up the street. Went to the airport in the morning, flew home. Went to the Cleveland Clinic where I live. And then they didn't have surgery for a couple of weeks. But uh, put me in another cast, took x-rays, put a couple plates in my, my arm. It was, I was pissed, honestly. I was pissed. Pissed. I was at home so mad that I crashed, so frustrated because my bike was trashed, my arm was messed up, I couldn't ride motorcycles, I couldn't ride bicycles. Basically, I was just being super cranky. <laughs>
0: and, uh, <laughs> well, you should have. It sounded like you got the dying of death wobbles.
3: Yeah, yeah. It was it was no fun. I don't remember. Yeah. That.
1: So how fast do you think you were going when that
3: hit? <laughs> Over 120, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's ass. Top, top of third gear, I I'll, I'll can hit high 120s and i was in four so somewhere in there you know um i mean it, it's fast yeah fast 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 enough. but yep. you know the, the the soft salt the bad conditions also probably saved my neck you know meaning uh i was pretty much okay considering you know so my i didn't i didn't even get a sore neck man i ripped my shield off my helmet all this stuff you can see my leather how i went over shoulder and hip and all that but uh I was generally okay, you know, like my side was messed up and my broken arm, but uh, I mean, I was fine, essentially, you know.
1: You, you must have just completely gone into that relaxed state. Your body had to have just been tumbling and flailing about like crazy.
3: You know, right before that run, Mikey Arnold at Lowbrow, our videographer, uh, photographer, a good buddy of mine, he's like, hey, let me put a GoPro on the bike. And I was like, no, no, no. It was our first run. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go out and set a record. I don't want the drag from that GoPro on my bike. And it's almost like bad luck, you know. Like if I crash, I'll be like, "It's because of your camera." It's <laughs> so just because of, yeah. Through Threw, oh, threw
0: wow. the dynamics off, the wind dynamics
1: were off. Damn it! Yeah.
3: <laughs> now I kind of wish I had that video, but I'm also fine that I don't because, like, I don't know. Probably. <laughs>
1: like, do you do you really want to watch that? <laughs> that's my
3: mean, you know. It's like I'm right. probably if I could see in slow mo my body in that wreck, I'd probably not enjoy seeing it. You know what I mean? So, right. But anyway, it was, it, it sucked. It, uh, it sucked and happened, but I pretty quickly in retrospect learned a lot about myself and risk tolerance and what not to do and when to stop and think again. So I'd say it's a good experience because of that. You know, it's like it's, I learned a bunch of stuff from it. You know, I, I don't want it to happen again. So yeah. No. But,
4: so tell us where we can go to watch that documentary.
3: Uh, it's on our, our, our YouTube channel. We just put it up the other day, uh, youtube.com slash lowbrow customs. And, um, we've actually, it'll be on Amazon prime pretty soon. We submitted it to Amazon. We, a lot of our videos are on Amazon prime. So if you're an Amazon person, just search uh lowbrow, lowbrow customs on there. And there's a bunch, we got a bunch of full length, uh, documentaries and films, and then a bunch of great tech articles or tech how to videos and stuff. Um, I'm biased, but I think it's pretty good content for Amazon prime. So <laughs> yeah, no
0: man, that series of Todd rebuilding the 650. Yeah. is it's amazing.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Todd's uh, before we recorded, you mentioned Todd, uh, Todd's such an asset uh, to the motorcycling community. He's got, uh, and he's just a great guy, a wonderful guy, close friend, but man, he's got so much knowledge and uh, Mikey. And, and for us capturing that stuff to share with people. I'm very happy that we can do that because if uh, you know, that's the only way you can share that knowledge. You know, if you don't know Todd you know, can't go to his garage. or like, I'm lucky I can just ask him questions or this or that. But uh, us creating that content, sharing it, I mean, we get a lot of positive feedback. And it's nice. People all over the world uh, eat that stuff up, you know, and uh, for good reason.
0: Yeah, no. And his Google foo is strong, too. Yeah. When I talked to him, I was looking for a certain puller. And, I mean, man, he had that pulled up in Google. Yeah. And no, I was like, my God, it would have taken me half a night to figure that out,
3: track that part
0: down. <laughs> his Google foo is strong.
3: He's funny though, because we'll get like a, we'll get like a text message question from a customer, or like he'll get a phone call, and all this stuff. Like, so he'll get a question, and he's just got like and he's got a lot of knowledge, but he also has a giant shelf of manuals, so it's pretty analog too. Because he'll sit down and just start reading manuals and researching and this and that um, on top of his you know his his knowledge from the years of doing stuff. But he uh, he genuinely cares. He loves solving problems and figuring out motorcycle gremlins. You know, so he's a perfect guy for lead tech support at lowbrow and for helping with it and, you know, being on camera for all these tech videos and
0: such. Yeah, no, he does a fantastic job. Yeah. He really does. It's amazing too, because you can call him and like, for instance, I was looking for a puller uh, and you all didn't have it. Yeah. You all didn't carry it because it was for a BSA and he found it and directed me to somebody else's site yeah, to yeah. get the, to get the part. And I was like, that is really cool. Do that.
3: That's the thing. I mean, if we can help someone, we're helping them. It's not, it's not about if, even if we can't sell on that part, if we know where to get it and we're like, yeah, this is a good company. This is a good part. We send them people along because you know, we're our thing with motorcycle tech support is, I mean, if someone calls with a question. We, we help them. We don't say, Hey, how much money do you spent with us? Or have you placed orders with us or whatever? If we can answer the question, we just help them out. You know? And right. the way I look at that is, I mean, it's not the best idea for like, you know, for making money as a business to just help people who didn't buy stuff from you. But I, the way I think of it is if we really help someone, they're going to remember that. And the next time they need oh, yeah. something, whether it's a cable or a gasket, or maybe they just buy a t-shirt or something. Cool. That's great. You know, yeah. um, I feel like that's karmic, you know, that all just comes out in, in the yeah. end. So oh, yeah. doing the right thing. Yeah, that's no, a, it's
0: really cool. Cause most companies, you would ask them, where can I get that part to get the big fuck off? You know, yeah,
2: yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You get a pre-recorded message by Ryan. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. that's right. And that's a, that's a great give back to just the motorcycling community. People talk about, at least those of us in the motorcycling community, we know what it's like, right? So, we know how we rally behind people when they need help and how we, you know, give back to charities and that kind of stuff. So, from the inside looking out, we know what it's like. But from the outside looking in, people, you know, have a tendency to think that they know what it's like in the motorcycling community or, or, they, or they judge us by what we look like or what, what we wear or whatever it is. And so, you know, you're kind of living, you're living that idea of, of you know, helping people out and giving back and, and mm. you know, doing something. It's like you're, you know, uh, the difference between somebody who rides a motorcycle and somebody who doesn't is that when you're driving down the highway in your car and you see somebody pulled over on their bike on the side of the road, you pull over and make sure that they don't need help. Mm. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, totally. and that's happened to me probably more times than not. I'm on the side of the road taking pictures <laughs> and somebody yeah. will pull over and say, hey, do you need help? And I'll be like, no, I'm good. I'm just taking pictures. Oh, okay. Just checking. Yeah, and they perfect. drive away and they have some sort of motorcycle sticker. It doesn't have to be Harley, right? But some sort of motorcycle sticker on their yeah. car. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, look, you know, yeah. and then it makes sense to you, you know? And so that's. I I like the idea of that. That's 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 a great thing.
3: It's the same win-win thing I was talking about earlier. It's like I don't know what's good for people who love motorcycles is good for people in the motorcycle industry, right? Because like this is what I want to do for a living. But if we don't support people, support the culture, um, help create events, help support events, make cool parts, share knowledge. I mean, it's just all a big cycle, you know. It's just like everyone. I mean it's just win win. Everyone it's good for everyone. Um, and again, I think if you do it that way, it makes something really freaking easy.
4: <laughs>
3: no. And I just thought
4: of the Lion King in the circle of life. Just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No
1: worries, man. Let's <laughs> see it.
0: That's I think
1: it. you're I think you're hitting a niche right now for, for younger people too, because you know, the the cost of admission right now is high. Mm. to get into, to get into the motorcycle world. And so I think to hit that, uh, price of admission at, as a, as a low, at a lower price point Mm. is a good spot to get younger people in, you know, and, and riding the, you know, that, that idea of making something yourself or doing it yourself is resonating, I think with younger people right now. Probably even more so than people my age, you know yeah. i 'll be honest i I don 't have a chopper because I want to get on my bike and ride i don't oh. want to have it you know broken down and and not that that's you know that a chopper that's sounds. half the fun ryan shit it, that well that's what people tell me you know <laughs> so yeah i think I think that a a older kind of you know bike that i've done more to it myself is definitely in my future for sure
3: yeah may uh it was back in the fall, late fall. And my wife's like, Hey, let's go for a motorcycle ride. And I've got like freaking four bikes, street bikes, or maybe more. I don't even know. It's tough time had, honestly, because being in the motorcycle industry, I end up buying motorcycles for like parts development and fitment. And so we have bikes that I don't consider mine, but they're at lowbrow, um, like different year ranges of sports or, you know, whatever. But, uh, she's like, let's go for a ride. And I'm like, well, shoot, like my, my Sportster chopper choppers got the, Bars and the front brake off of it right now because I was fitting some parts to it and I forget what was going on. My pan head isn't a two up rider, my shovel head's not a two up rider. I lent my other shovel head with a two up seat to my a good buddy and I was like, I don't have a freaking bike. I was like, We can borrow Kyle, my brother. I was like, We can go borrow his Dyna and go for a ride. And she's like, I want to ride a, a modern Dyna. She's like, You know, she's like, oh, oh. She same she's like I want to ride something that's exciting because. My wife has been my partner many times, broken down in crazy places, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's led to like you know it's it's sometimes fun at the time, sometimes it sucks at the time, but afterward it's always a good memory. You know, it's always it, it's what sets apart that flawless trip. I mean, what do you really remember? Oh yeah, that was a good ride. But uh, like I, my Panhead broke down in Mexi- Baja Mexico with me and my wife at like 4 p.m. one day, and my clutch basket sheared uh, like the inner and outer. It was crazy. Anyway. I'm stuck in the middle of Mexico on this little two lane road in the middle of nowhere. And we didn't end up getting in a pickup truck till midnight that night. You know, we're like, it was crazy. It was like blaring sun. We had no water. It was a real, like it was a real adventure, you know? And, uh, that's the fun stuff that happens on old bikes. <laughs> I'm telling if you were to got
4: on, a, if she would have got on a dyna with you, you guys might've died. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <You> <laughs> never know.
4: I'm telling you, Hey, I, 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 I respect you. Yeah. But fuck a Dinah.
3: And I, uh, New bikes are are great, but uh, all my stuff's old, you know, like just because it's, I like the challenge. <laughs> um, my newest bike is a 75 Harley Shovelhead. Um, my oldest, which is a parts bike right now, it's a project, it's a 26 Harley JD. Uh, mm-hmm. I've owned for a new, that's a big project, you know, but uh, I like the old bikes. Um, I rode my brother's Dyna once and I was like, holy shit, this seems fast and smooth. It's There's big pluses to that for certain reasons, but uh I don't know. I like this, all my weird tinkers old stuff, you know.
0: I like the old stuff. A little story about how good their shipping is. So, I ordered some, uh, some megaphones, some reverse cones from another company, and I had waited two and a half weeks, and they still weren't shipped. How many weeks? Two and a half, and they I still hadn't shipped, and I was on lowbrow looking for something else, and I saw that they had them. I went ahead and ordered them on a Monday. Wednesday morning, they were sitting at my door. My door. <laughs>
5: nice. Good I God. Mean,
0: I already well, had them from Lowbrow and I had to call the other guy and I was like, dude, I already got them. I mean, in our, you know,
3: the motorcycle industry, many people don't stock anything. They're just drop shipping and stuff. Uh, we've got a freaking giant warehouse full of freaking 7,000 products and quantity of each. You know, I mean, we, we stock our stuff that way. Someone calls with a question, Todd walks over to the shelf, pulls the part off the shelf looks at it, gives them the measurement, whatever they need. And without stocking that stuff, we can't do that. And plus we want to put all that stuff in a box together, throw some stickers in there, you know, get it out to the person right away. Um, It's harder way to do it. Uh, It takes a lot more money to have those parts on the shelf and stuff, but that's how we ship so fast. You know, it's just investing in that for freaking half my life.
0: (laughs) No, it's, it's really fast. It's well, thanks. I I appreciate it. I love ordering stuff from you guys, man. Appreciate it. So that's some
3: fast shipping. That yeah,
0: it's, cool. Well, I'm only in Louisville, so I'm not that far from you. So it gets to me pretty quick. You need
3: to get everything out the door the same day. So it's like someone orders by two in the afternoon. We want to ship it that afternoon, you know? Nice. Um, and we're 99.8% of the time we do that, you know? Oh, wow. So you know, for
2: like, a little yeah. perspective, uh, I got a question. Like say you, you call yourself a small company. You guys obviously have... You're a big name in aftermarket parts. And I think a lot of people assume you're a big company. But just for some perspective, how many parts do you think you sell a day?
3: Um, it varies. Parts, I don't maybe know off the top of my head, orders I could tell you. Sure. hundred and fifty to two hundred orders a day, something like that. We ship oh, depending wow. on the month and the season and stuff. You know, we ship probably on average six thousand packages a month or something. Wow. So we I mean, we I'm very proud of our company being being what I consider quite small. We do a lot with our crew, you know? And when I say, you know, like 14, 15 people, that's, uh, I, I mean, that's everything, right? That's customer service, tech support, you know, all of our, pick, you know, like shipping orders, pulling orders, uh, videography, graphic design, marketing. I mean, that's all of us because we all do about six jobs <laughs> and uh, and everyone's got their specialty, you know? But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of what we do with our, with our crew and working like regular days, you know, like eight to four 30. We're not like typically burning the midnight oil or anything. We're Everyone works hard. We get the work done. But yeah, we uh, we're a tiny, tiny company in the broad spectrum of motorcycle parts. You know, um, like in chopper parts, we I know a better, a well-known brand. Um, it's hard for me to know honestly because I don't know. We just have our heads down using our doing our thing, and uh, I often get surprised over the years. I don't know. You know, I don't have an outside perspective. And being in Ohio, we're not like going. You know, we're often not going that far outside of Ohio. We're not going to a ton of shows. We used to a lot more. But uh, with family and stuff, I try not to go too far. Uh, I don't like to be away from my kids too much, you know. Um, But, yeah, sometimes it's hard to have that perspective of, like, oh, you said, like, oh, we're a really well-known brand. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know we're a well-known brand, but sometimes I forget, like, yeah, I don't really know, I guess. Like, I don't know. I don't have that outside perspective. But uh, I appreciate the fact that people buy from us and support us, and that says a lot.
0: (laughs) No, man, really cool. We got a fellow Triumph guy here if he turns his mic on.
5: I was – I was just trying to be quiet and listen. To this. Be, a, be a fly on the wall. What's going on, Tyler? What's up, Jared? Not much, man. I just wanted to jump on really quick and say thank you, man, for helping out with the the raffle, dude. We're right now we're twenty five tickets away from breaking fifty thousand dollars that we raised for these. Uh, oh wow!
3: Yeah, so it's That's amazing. Yeah, we were talking about you before, uh, right before the show uh so we donate parts to a lot of builds and bikes and things like that but man you freaking killed it with that triumph that thing is so nice
5: (laughs) yeah i I laugh and joke i mean it's somebody's gonna win that thing for 25 dollars and man um i've got more than that just from the tube and the rear tire (laughs) so (laughs) but now they're gonna get something awesome i'm i'm you know i just like said i just want to say thank you i i I didn't know i was going to do the whole raffle thing um From the get go, um, if you know, if I were to reapproach that idea again, I would reach out to you know you guys, and several other people, to have them donate parts rather than me, you know. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. for sure.
5: My pocket, but no, no, it's it's been amazing. Been spreading you guys around, letting cool. everybody know how cool you
3: are. Well, yeah, if you uh, if you do round two and you do another bike when you re- recoup from all the energy you're putting into this one, yeah, <laughs> man, you know.
5: <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for letting me jump in. I don't
0: want to hijack your podcast. Let's oh, get no problem, No, yeah. oh, Not a thing. Tyler, you've mentioned Fuel Cleveland yep. a few times. Let yep. everybody know what that is.
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, Fuel Cleveland is a motorcycle show that we put on in Cleveland, Ohio every, every year, uh, and this year, we have a, have a date locked down for end of July, but... I don't know, man. Flip a coin if it can happen or not. You know, I, uh,
0: I know we we do a meetup also, and we had our second annual this year, and we had to cancel because of yeah. COVID. Well, I
3: mean, we're we're ready to rock as soon as it's like a responsible time to do it, and that we can actually do it. Uh, as far as getting, because we have to get permits and stuff, and because uh, it's become such a big event, uh, we started out in a warehouse, a guy Cliff's warehouse where he lives, and he just let us do his show, our show there for free and ended up we just had a a killer time that was I think 2015 I think was the first fuel um but anyway it was we probably had a couple thousand people the first year it was real underground Uh, and then we've done it every year and it just grows I'd say the last one in 2019 probably like 8,000 people come through but we do um (laughs) it's all free there's no entry fee it's family friendly free to the public and that's a big thing to us is like and we don't do it to make money. It's the worst way to make money in the world when you don't charge entry, at least, and stuff. But we're just we work really freaking hard to put on the show. Uh, end up with about a hundred motorcycles that we curate. So, well, um, it's not it's not like a, a, a old boy club or cool guy show. It's about getting a good selection of uh, stock bikes, rare bikes, uh, you know, factory race bikes, choppers. From, I mean, the earliest bike we've had was a 1905 Wagner, right up to a like a current year, you know, custom bike. And uh, all makes and models, well, hardly heavy, but lots of British bikes, um, you know, BMW, fricking Kawasaki, Yamaha, we, you know, whatever, uh, we've got it. But uh, usually it's like an art gallery show kind of set up. So we've got lots of room to move around, well lit. And then we also have a, a bunch of photography prints up from different motorcycle photographers, fine, like fine art, sculpture, paintings, uh, anything. It's all, uh, you know, motorcycle culture related. So it's anything to do with motorcycling. And then outside, you know, we normally have thousands of motorcycles from attendees who show up uh, from all over, the, all over the country, all over Canada. Um, we've had people come from freaking New Zealand to our show, which blows me away. So we, uh, we get people from all over the place. And it's a one-day event. Usually it's noon to 8 p.m. And uh, we do part, it's a Saturday. We usually do party Friday night, show Saturday, party Saturday night, sometimes a party Sunday. <laughs> so we do a whole weekend of <laughs> events. And uh, it's just a great time. That's it's cool. not a bunch of hipsters, is it? Uh, yeah, you know, there's there's just a sprinkling of them. <laughs> okay, I didn't know if it was like a,
4: <laughs> I didn't know if it was like a speakeasy or not. You know, it's like uh, have a secret password.
3: No, no, it's uh, everyone. Well, that's why I say it's like, man, we're it's free of the public. We had all kinds of people in there. You know, we get yeah. uh, VFW yeah. groups riding out all the way to dudes with riding their freaking, you know, whatever chopper from cross country, showing up all dirty and, and happy to, you know, whatever we, we've, right. Anyone interested in two wheels, um, you know, is welcome. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a uh, uh, fuelcleveland.com You can check out, we've got tons of interviews with different uh, motorcycle artists in their builders, bike coverage, show coverage. There's just a ton of really cool content on there. And if you, uh, we've got videos of really nice uh, videos from a lot of the previous year shows, youtube.com slash lowbrow customs you go on there find there's a few cleveland videos um but yeah hopefully 2021 we'll do another one Uh, and and if so we're going to probably double the size of it we got a new venue big old uh, warehouse in cleveland and we can we're on the fourth floor we can get the third floor too i think so if we can do it we're just going to double down and try and get a couple hundred bites and really just and if it's not this year, it'll be next year. Well, we'll see. You know how it is. I'd love to say it's happening, but uh, I'd say fifty.
0: The COVID's no joke. So, uh, how many how many bikes are you currently working on?
3: Personally, two. Both race vehicles. My single engine bike, I pulled the engine out of, and uh, just kind of taking that apart and checking it out, putting it back together, and then I'm building a new dual engine. 1950 Triumph, which right now is some engine plate sitting in a frame jig and a neck and uh, just got the tubing. My buddy Jesse, the gas box, just bent all the frame tubing today with the CNC bender, giving CAD files for it. Um, working with Tim of Fiorucci Fabrication, a good buddy of mine locally, and another buddy, Dowie of Dutch Engineering, who's a engineer, uh, who used to be an OEM uh, designer for Buell for six years. So working with those guys, uh, who are good friends uh, and it's great to have like these super smart, capable people on it as a team building this new race bike, but a uh, big race in that this year, you know, probably August, maybe September at Bonneville. And uh, so that's my main focus. And that work, I, we're always working on something. So we've got, I've got a sportster that I've uh, been building into a a pretty radical tracker and it's got a and S hooligan kit in it. So it's got a real nice built motor We've been doing a video series we haven't released yet called the Saturday Sportster. And so we'll be done with it pretty soon. It'll be probably four or six episodes. And the idea is like, I bought this bike off literally off like Craigslist for two grand. And then we're like, we did a video on doing the hooligan kit, how to do it. Right. So you can just install the cams and do everything in the garage if you follow along. And then basically just here's the parts we use, build this really cool, uh, this really cool bike, you know, nice exhaust, fortunate shocks kind of go anywhere. Uh, bike, but then we'll just release it and the idea is like, Yeah, man, you can do this in your own garage on tricking a month of Saturdays. You know, it's really not a big deal. Most of it's bolt together and you could rattle can stuff or get it powder coated or whatever. We're just powder coating the tins. We're just doing a rough budget. You know, we're saying like look, you buy a two thousand dollar bike, you spend eighteen hundred bucks and some time and you've got a killer bike that uh you know you can ride anywhere you want. So that's something we're working on pretty hard right now.
0: That sounds like a pretty cool series. Hell that's really that a good sounds idea. Awesome. Really. Yeah. It'll be, yeah.
3: It'll be real fun. As soon as we're done with that bike, uh, we're either going. I'm looking for a pre-70 Ironhead uh, Sportster, just pre-70 because I'm just uh, that's what I prefer. i being nerdy, but uh, really it'll just be an Ironhead <laughs> Sports. We're just going to do a, a chopper build with that same kind of thing, you know, just build one and film the whole thing from start to finish. And then uh, we'll probably also do a, a rigid Evo Sportster, you know, take a Evo sporty, chop it in half, weld up the hardtail, and then just you know go through the whole process. It's fun to do and it shows everyone how to do it. You know, it kind of makes, eases the fears of cutting your bike in half, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, so.
0: For sure. Are your hardtail conversions that you sell or is that your stuff or is that somebody else? Uh, well,
3: we sell, we sell Voodoo Vintage brand, which is, is Voodoo Vintage. But then we uh, we sell Lowbrow Customs brand hardtails as well, which are, which are ours. And I think that's it right now. Um, we used to sell Dave Bird hardtails for many years. Dave's an amazing fabricator and uh, built me several custom race frames in the past. He retired, I think it was a couple of years ago now, and moved uh, back uh, to where he's from to be closer to his, his grandkids. So uh, Dave, we sold his hardtail for many years. A lot of people, especially British bike guys, know the name David Bird. But uh, yeah, he retired. Um, so yeah, it's just the two, the two brands right now.
0: So, you actually have your own line of hardtail conversions yeah. that you've but That's, that's awesome. Yeah, Ironhead
3: Sportster, a uh, couple year ranges, a couple styles, straight legging, like a loop frame one, Evo Sportster. Got some really, really cool shovel head hardtails coming. Uh, one that's a bolt on, real short wheelbase, loop style. Really freaking cool, and no one makes anything like it hardtail. And then um, I'm working on cast axle plates for disc brake. They're like they look like OEM Harley rigid axle plates, but they're for three-quarter axle and disc brake, and they're, they're super slick. And those will be done pretty soon. And then when those are done, we'll do uh, shovelhead hardtails. And uh, we're working with Gasbox, who's in Cleveland, good close friend Jesse, and he's doing full frames. He's those uh, Ironhead full frames, and he will be doing probably full, uh, full big twin frames with our axle plates. So that's all stuff. Hopefully all in 2021, all that stuff will be done and and you'll see it happening. So we got a, we got a ton of cool stuff uh, that we are always working on stuff. So, but uh, I feel like we're really ramping it up lately. So
1: if somebody wanted to jump into the deep end of the pool Mm -hmm. with a budget build chopper of any brand, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. What would be, what would be your suggestion? Like where, where should a person start if they want to do just a budget build, you know, kind of do it yourself in your own garage kind of situation?
3: Sure. I mean, my, my, my answer might've been different depending on bike prices and parts availability in the past, but right now a 90s Sportster, early 2000s Sportster, Evo Sporty, uh, I buy them myself for projects at low Brown stuff. I mean, two grand I bought two Sportsters this year, Evos, like early 2000s. I think one was in uh, 2000, one was in 03. I think I paid like two grand for each of them. Each had like a couple thousand miles on it. I mean, they're brand new freaking bikes. And what I like about them is they're super low maintenance. You don't have to do anything to them, you know. You go over the bike, change the oil and filter, check out the tires, and then you like ride across country. You know what I mean? It's just ready to rock. It's good good on the highway. Um, And – I mean, there's a lot of parts available from low but also from other other companies out there. They're just a popular, uh, popular bike to chop. And uh, man, it's like a rigid Evo Sportster is definitely probably the most popular chopper for our, especially for like our 20 and 30 something customers. You know, I find, I'm i 40 and I find that like, I've got, a, I've got a rigid Sportster with big twin heads. It's a 1250 at Hall's Ass. It's super fun to ride. That's my wife's favorite bike to ride with me, uh, two up. But um, I find that that's, I mean, that's like, man, I, my days of like going to the bar or trying to, I'm, I'm a married man, you know, so I'm not chasing ladies or anything else. But if I was just out getting wild with my buddies uh, going on long road trips, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat, definitely that's what I wanted. Yeah. Rigid sports are super reliable. You don't have to like, if you don't ride it for a while, no big deal. You just freaking fire it up and go. Um, and you can get, you can get them even cheaper, especially getting into like the nineties one and stuff. And they're fine, man. Just, we actually did, Todd did a video. It's on our YouTube channel and it's how to buy a used sportster and it's walking over uh, a used Sportster and just looking at all, all the stuff to look at when you're buying one. Um, and that's like, I watched that video because it's Todd's great at buying bikes <laughs> and, it, and it's just little tips and what to look for, like little indicators if you're getting the truth and has this bike gone down has it been stored in a leaky shed or a nice garage? Or has it been outside under a tarp? You know, like kind of like the like one tip would be pull the seat off of it. Bring bring a few basic hand tools. Grab an Allen and pull the seat off of it. Is it? And this happened to me because the last one of the last bikes I bought, thing looks beautiful. I didn't pull the seat off of it. I buy it, drag it back to the shop to pull the seat off of it. It looks like it would had been dunked in a mud pit and realized it had probably been stored in like a leaky shed or under a tarp. And the dude washed it off and then I bought it. And it just leads, you know, you get oxidized fasteners and this and that. So anyway, little, little tips about what to look for, but, um, man, for, for what I consider a pretty reasonable price, you have a, a fast capable bike that you can ride anywhere you want. I mean, man, I've, I've met customers and, and dudes riding Ironhead Sportsters like literally around the world. So you can do whatever you put your heart and uh, you know, mind to, uh, but for reliability and price and evo sports is freaking hard to beat
0: those evos run forever too yeah
3: they're just they're just dependable low maintenance
0: what what was his name scooter tramp scotty Mm -hmm. yeah he's been on the road since like 99
1: 96
0: 96 no shit what do you say he had five hundred thousand miles on his
3: yeah yeah crazy yeah it's crazy yeah, there's a, I mean, there's other options out there. I would have said in the past Yamaha XS650s because I used to buy them when I was in my early 20s for 300 bucks, ride them for the summer, sell them for 400 bucks, and buy another one in the spring for 300 bucks, And uh, now, uh, shoot, couple grand. I mean, they've gotten expensive and collectible. They're
0: hard to find too. Yeah, they're man. hard
3: to find. It's, it's just going to be harder to find parts for and everything else. Uh, a lot of the vintage or what I would call vintage, you know, like 70s and 80s Japanese stuff it's gotten a lot more valuable and so they're not as good as far as a cheap uh, and definitely not as easy to find parts for um as a sport Ironhead head sports are great too you know you can get a 70s iron head pretty freaking cheap um they're great reliable bikes um depending on on how many miles are on the engine and stuff but you know a lot of times you need a top end and they're good to go you know but uh, those that's a, a great platform as well. Lots of parts and there. you can get them pretty inexpensive if you look around, Facebook marketplace and that kind of thing. All right,
2: Discord friends, is about to answer your questions. Make sure you head over to five dirty bikers.com and click the link on the homepage to visit our Discord and become a member. Hey everybody, we're gonna take some questions from the Five Dirty Bikers Discord. Brian, how much does it cost to join the Five Dirty Bikers Discord?
1: Um our Discord's fucking free. Free. Yeah, fucking free.
4: Just <laughs> and it's know. free.
1: It doesn't cost you a thing and it's fucking free.
4: And Ryan, free. tell everybody how many Discord members we currently have.
1: As of this afternoon, when I checked, there's 248 members of our fucking free Discord. So if you want to be part of it, get your asses over there because it's free. Good. It's fucking
4: free. It's free. You ain't got to pay for shit.
1: Nope. Not at all. No. And you have access to, you know, all of the other people that are on our Discord that don't pay a nickel to be there. However, if you do want to be a part of supporting our 5 Duty Bikers podcast, you can join our Patreon. And we have many tiers on our Patreon now. Mary, can you tell the people about the tiers on our Patreon?
4: I will very quickly, yes. So, we have... Friends, which is $5 a month, Fanatics, $10 a month, our Fabulous Ferkers, which are $15 a month, <laughs> and our Miraculous Merkins, which are $20 a month, and we have eight of those now, eight, and so this is the shout out to you eight, Matt Garlock, Chris Wanger, Kenneth Rastad, Andrew Yerkic, Jerkic, <laughs> Mike Anders, Philip Renaud. Matt
0: Smith and Walter Vivolt. So, speaking of, of Merkins, Tyler, do you have any idea, idea a what a Merkin is? Tyler, do you have any idea
4: what a Merkin
0: is? No, I have no idea what a Merkin. No, is. No, idea. no idea.
2: Oh, okay. So, what's what's the prize pack for being? Wait, a Wait, wait a minute, Mike's
0: got to tell Merkin? him what a Merkin is.
4: A Merkin <laughs> is otherwise known as a pubic wig. Ew.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: you know
5: yeah. <laughs>
0: that reaction,
5: though.
4: <laughs> it's,
1: it's a real thing. And you can buy them on Amazon, right? They're on now.
0: Amazon. You can actually really? buy them on Amazon.
1: Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, it's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. You Back can it to whatever shape you want Christmas tree, landing strip, uh, heart. I mean, whatever you want. The full Chewbacca. Oh. <laughs> the full Whoa. Chewbacca.
5: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to. We're going to get a new one in this next year that we're going to be delivering out to our patrons and we're going to call it the Weems and it's going to be very large and (laughs) bushy. It's
4: the the working, Markin. (laughs)
2: It's the (laughs) working, merkin. It's the working, it's the the working bands, (laughs) (laughs)
4: merkin. It's it's for winter months.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When it's cold out. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah it started in the, the, the started in the 16th century and uh the horrors of the day had <laughs> chlamydia so bad that they lost their hair so they had the merkin which was a pubic wig and it was to disguise the fact that they didn't have any hair down there and, and you did would you, you learn
0: would podcast it's amazing I'm I'm, hey <laughs> so never knew. speaking of that you <laughs> know, I don't know where this is going, but the other up in other up in, in Cleveland, you have White Castles, don't you? You have them in
3: yeah. There's a some around, most of them closed, but there's still a couple around.
0: Oh, boom! Are, are you a, are you a fan?
3: Uh that's definitely like a heading home from the bar kind of yes. food. You know?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, exactly.
3: So at at times, yes, I'd be a fan, but like right now, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
4: you
0: need hey, to be I'll- close to home.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, will, I will pull off from a pack that I'm riding with to eat White Castle. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that one I, time. We I, I'd
2: it. crawl up a cow's ass for a cheeseburger right now. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
0: It's pretty tasty. So we got sidetracked. What's our, what's our questions?
2: Well, the first one I saw here is from Discord member C. Shroom, and he asks, for lowbrow, any chance they are hunting hardtail kits for the 79 to 81 Sportster frames?
3: man uh we don't have any plans for it right now it's super <laughs> we were just joking about this the other day those poor like seven nineteen seventy nine sports store owners they get the bastard years it's uh <laughs> it's tough because there's all those changes in those few years and so to make fixtures and make hardtails for them it's just it, it's not at the top of the list that's for sure just because there's uh just not as many of them out there you know comes down to time, you know, what we can make. There's always a long list and things get reprioritized. So nothing in the works right now, but uh, uh, we'll keep it in mind.
2: Not cost effective.
3: Yeah, it's tough, you know. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, and uh, tail end of that, he had a second question. And any more of the build tune-up series in the works?
3: Uh, the which The what tune-up series? He didn't really specify. Well, uh, I can tell you uh, in general, as far as builds, Fab how to and mechanical how to, yeah, we got loads of stuff. We got a bunch of stuff like I was alluding to earlier. We got a lot of stuff even film that we wait to release until it's kind of all done, so we can do it on a on a schedule. You know, like every two uh-huh. weeks or whatever on a Saturday. But uh, yeah, we're man, we've got a long list of tech tips and mechanical, and also like I said, uh, just some good build series we're going to be doing over the next. Well, I mean, kind of forever. We just are always doing that stuff. Yeah, we'd probably put out a video. A lot, they're not always long ones but we do even a short one probably every week we do one you know
4: so there's another question in here from walter he said what are their most popular bars by model sportster dyna and Softtail.
3: oh uh, so no <laughs> that's a tough one i mean honestly probably for all three of those some uh, shorter apes like a eight to eight inch to 12 inch range we do like eight inch, 10 inch, 12 inch, working on 14 and 16 right now. But the shorter, like eight inch kind of mini apes, that's really popular. Uh, rabbit ears for sportsters. we sell, we make a lot of those and sell them. Soft tail, I don't know, we we don't have that much stuff specifically for soft tail. So I don't have a good read on that. And that's, we we're talking about that. I was talking about that with Todd today, is there's a ton of soft tails out there and we don't have that many custom parts for them. Um, and then Dyna. Probably T bars or, or tall risers with drag bars or something like the club style, you know.
0: Sons of Anarchy.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. you know what T
4: bars are? <laughs> hmm. You know who they're for? <laughs> who? T <Tea> baggers.
0: <laughs> Mike is Sorry. not a fan of the Dyna or the T bars.
3: <laughs> I don't think we should use that slogan for the T bars we sell. <laughs> no, no. T bag and T
0: bars. <laughs> T bag certified. Yeah, yeah. They, that might hamper the sale just a touch.
4: Yeah. <laughs> The Dyna guys would love it. I promise.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. Man,
4: Nothing. tough crowd.
0: Tough tough crowd tonight, man. Tough crowd.
4: Mm.
3: So, mm. you guys really don't carry a lot of Dyna stuff, do you?
4: Do you?
0: I've never uh, looked, so gonna, I don't know.
3: You know what? We, we carry a lot of parts that fit Dyna's, but, like, we don't cater to the club-style Dyna scene particularly. And that's honestly, me because, like, I don't know. I mean, that's not, that's, I'm personally not into it. I don't know, like, I just, I don't know it that well. So it's like chopper stuff, man, no problem. Like, I, I you know, like, all oh, this stuff, cause I use it, right? So I'm like, I know what parts are good. I know what fits well. I know what, what looks good. Performance, stuff. I just, I don't know. There's a lot of people doing that stuff, and I kind of, well, enjoy doing that. I'll do what I do, you know? Yeah, so exactly. um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't chase, I don't want to chase trends or like, not, I'm not saying it's not lasting, but it's just, it's, I don't know. We can't be everything to everyone, you know. So it's just—it's just, well, a trend. Yeah,
4: that's yeah. why I was saying I respected the fact that you didn't—you—you you didn't offer a lot of products for. You know, you you offer do it yourself. Yeah. You know, custom custom stuff that people yeah. anybody can do. Yeah. And that's what—that's where I—that's what I was getting at earlier. Yeah.
0: And a lot of cheap tools, which I appreciate, those pullers and stuff. No, they're
4: not cheap. They're inexpensive.
0: Well, yeah. That's correct me. Yeah. Yeah. High value.
3: High value. Ooh, that's a good one, too. A lot of our our specialty tools we have manufactured, you know, CNC screw machines and this and that. So, especially like a lot of the old British tools, I was like, why am I buying tools from England that are probably made in Taiwan shipping them across the atlantic was like we can make these right here in the industrial complex we're in and uh so a lot of times we just make our own stuff because we can and we can usually improve the design and make it better and make it more affordable you know so it's They're kind of definitely
0: real. more affordable i i had no clue how many pullers i was going to need <laughs> until i got in and i was like there's a puller for everything you can't even yeah. get the damn for- front uh, forks apart without some type of puller get yeah, them back on it. Yeah, all uh, I can say is you buy a lot of, lot of map
2: gas.
4: Any more Discord?
2: No, that's it. Everybody, thank know. you for it's submitting not, your it, questions. But,
5: I, did, yeah. I did submit a question on the Discord, Dustin. You didn't see mine?
0: Well, no, because it got all jacked up. So what? what's your question there, Jared? Shit, I, I you got I just, access.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know Tyler's opinion, land speed racing versus street riding like what is his preference
3: for fun or safety or the whole enchilada what do you
5: (laughs) just overall what 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 do you prefer
3: um i prefer well so i'll give you i i love land speed racing because i like the whole event it's like say i'm going for a week road trip with your your buddies uh gearhead paradise surrounded by cool stuff you're racing you're tuning you're solving problems you're going through every emotion. Right. So it's like to be happy to freaking scared to sad, all this stuff. So it's like all this great stuff jammed into, in like long days, like we'll be out up at 5am and we'll be drinking beers till freaking midnight in the parking lot or whatever, having a blast, grilling out, you know? So that's like, that's one aspect when it comes to street riding, I'm definitely the, I want to go on trips that like, I mean, I'll ride my motorcycle like to run an errand, but that doesn't do it for me. Like that's fine. It's just transportation at that point. It's fun, you know. But I like um, I like adventurous trips. You know, I like it like riding cross country. I like rambling. I like um, multi-day trips or whatever. At least, so like those are depending on the trip. If I'm just like riding in Pennsylvania, that's not equal to landscape speed racing. But if I'm freaking riding them through Mexico, yeah, that's right up there, you know. And I'd say it's comparable. Um, I don't know. I I, I really enjoy racing. And even I feel like racing is safer than riding on the street only because of other vehicles and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, being in the industry and, and surrounded by motorcyclists all the time, I'm sure the same as you guys is like, man, every year, I know someone who gets seriously jacked up or, you know, or worse. And so it's, you know, that's always a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Those,
0: those cars are a real problem out there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Immovable objects are no good. Yeah. For a motorcycle Like, holes and hydrants and all that crap. That's a good thing about racing, whether it's dependent on the type of racing, but if it's closed course and there's not a bunch of immovable objects, it's way safer, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, everybody, that's going to kill it for this episode of five dirty bikers podcast. Tyler, thank you so much for joining the podcast today and chatting with us. It was a pleasure to have you.
3: Yeah. Thanks. I totally enjoyed it.
2: Guys, make sure you go to lowbrowcustoms.com and check out their website, get you some parts and check them out on social too. You're on I assume all the Facebook, Instagram,
3: yeah, all the socials, you know, lowbrow customs and all (laughs) All that stuff.
2: All right. Awesome. Well guys, that's going to do it until next time, Mike, what do we need to do?
4: Hey, you guys need to keep it dirty. Riders. Bye.